for the most part, I'm going to speak in overly general terms here for a second, but my opinion is that in general, people tend to fret too much about missed opportunities. I think there is a tendency inside most of us to feel like, um, like young people right now, graduating seniors, maybe if I don't find just the right college, that I'll, be, I'll miss out for the rest of my life. If I don't find that, that one special someone, if, if I don't get, if I just, if I take this job, maybe I'm missing out on a better job or this house or, or whatever, I'm, somehow my life's going to be lacking if I don't get the exact sort of perfect opportunity at the right time. My sort of philosophy on this, I'm closer to a guy named G.K. Chesterton who wrote this, the only way of catching a train I've ever discovered is to miss the train before. Right? If I had gotten on the train before, I would miss this one. So if I'm going to catch this train, I had to miss the one. I think life is full of opportunities. And God is gracious in that if we live uh, faithfully, we catch the opportunities prayerfully that, that, that are presented, we can always live for him whatever trains we catch or miss. However, that being said, there are some opportunities that are too big to miss. You probably don't recognize this guy. You may recognize that guy. He's sort of pseudo-famous. This is a guy named Noland Bushnell. An old Noland, he was, as a young man, he's still alive, still working. As a young man, he uh, founded Atari. Now, so now those of you who are at least my age know Atari, right? All the hours you spent playing Pitfall. You can think Noland Bush, Bushnell or Frogger. Space Invaders was my jam, really. But um, This guy, Noland Bushnell, don't feel too sorry for him because he was very successful in his but uh, in the 70s, in the 1970s, he was approached by a guy you have heard of. His name's Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs offered to sell one-third of Apple to Nolan Bushnell for $50,000. Now, in the late 70s, that was a lot of money. But last year, Apple became the first publicly traded American company to be worth more than a trillion dollars. So his $50,000 investment would have been worth over $300 billion last year. Some opportunities when we miss them are real doozies. And today Jesus is going to teach us about the biggest missed opportunity. Today's passage, Jesus is going to tell us the parable of the wedding feast we're going to read it out of the book of Matthew. And it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Matthew to get you caught up where we're at. We're early in the last week of Jesus's life. He's on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And today this parable we read is actually the third in a trilogy of parables that Jesus told the religious leaders, his enemies. And he's told them, he told one, the first was about a dad who tells his two sons to go work in the vineyard. 
and one of them says, no, I ain't doing that. Then he changes his mind and does it. And another one says, yes, daddy, I will, and doesn't, and doesn't go. That was the first one. The second parable, which immediately precedes this one, is the parable of the unfaithful tenants, where Jesus tells this parable, like Israel was God's special vineyard that he made, and then he, uh, he handed it over to renters, to tenants, and they were unfaithful, and they beat up his servants, the prophets, and then when the sun showed up, they killed the sun because they wanted to keep control of the vineyard. And Jesus is obviously telling these parables to his enemies about them. He's telling them about how God is going to reject Israel because Israel has rejected Jesus as its Messiah. Now, we'll learn later that God will uh, come back for Israel. He will draw Israel to himself in the end and change the heart nationally of Israel so that they will accept Jesus as their Messiah. But that's going to follow at least 2,000 years of Jesus rejecting their Messiah, Jesus, and, and existing or sort of under the judgment of God. Well, today's parable, in a lot of ways, picks up at the end of this trilogy. What we're going to read today starts out being about Israel, but this is really about what happens after, this is predictive, after Jesus is killed and buried and, and raises from the dead and ascends into heaven. This parable is about the work of the church in the church age that we live in right now. Uh, and it's about who gets into heaven and who is left outside. It's about the, the missing the biggest of opportunities. The opportunity at eternal life. And if you've ever been confused, you ever, you, you ever, anybody remember that parable where it seems like a guy gets kicked out of heaven? If you've ever wondered about that, this is the one. We're going to read it together this morning. Um, it'll be on the screen. If you want to do me a favor, though, if you, uh, we, we, got a bu we bought a bunch of new Bibles that are underneath chairs. If you'd grab one of those and see if this passage is on page 983, I would appreciate that. Because we think we have a bunch of Bibles that are all have the same pages. And if yours is, if you find one that's not on page 983, hang on to that. And that was also a terribly manipulative way for me to get you to open a Bible and have it open in front of you. I am not above manipulation. 983, it's Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And it reads like this. Jesus spoke to them, that's his enemies, again in parables. So this is a made-up story that proves a, a real point. Verse 2, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And they were unwilling to come. Again, the king sent out other slaves saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. And they went their way. One to his own farm, another to his business. 
And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged. He sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Verse 8, then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you can find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. Verse 11, but when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And the king said to that guy, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. There is our parable. Um, Jesus begins by telling us what this parable is going to be about. In verse 2, Jesus lets us know that this parable is going to teach us something about heaven. So the kingdom of heaven can be compared to, I'm going to tell you something about heaven. And the first thing we learn, or I want you to learn, that may miss or we may miss it because of our culture, is Jesus is letting us know that heaven is going to be awesome. Um, I'll speak mainly to guys now, but sometimes women too. Sometimes guys, your wife lets you know, hey, we have a, we have a wedding to go to this weekend. And you go, oh, great. <laughs> right? So that does not sound always like a great time to us. So heaven can be compared to a wedding. woo right? No. Um, in the ancient world, first century Israel, this was the best of times. Food options were incredibly limited. If you lived in first century Near East, you ate mainly bread every day. And we would consider it pretty hard, pretty dry bread. Uh, your work week was six days long, 12 hours a day. And except for some religious festivals, it went all the time. But a wedding was the one time when there was a wedding in your community. All work ceased. And the community gathered and they were days long. Right? They lasted several days and people, I mean, they, they you know, we read... You butchered cattle, big deal. Like if you never ate meat, it would be a big deal. Personally, it's a pretty big deal for me every day. Uh, love meat. Um, so Jesus is saying, this is like that, but wait, there's more. Imagine that a king was having the banquet for his son, and you got invited to that. So it's like Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven could be compared to the best time you've ever had on steroids. Even better than that. I don't know what your like, vision, your idea of heaven is like, but I hope it's not like the old uh, Far Side cartoon. Remember this one? Guy floating on a cloud says, wish I'd have brought a magazine. Right? Sometimes we think heaven is 
floating on clouds and playing harps, and harp music is lame, and, right? Listen, the God of the universe invented life. He invented joy. He invented us for, to flourish. And when he perfects everything, it's going to be better than we can fathom. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate. So I want to tell you something about heaven, and it's going to be better than you've ever imagined. You do not want to miss this invitation. Well, the first thing that happens in this parable that's going to be about heaven is there's a king who, who is giving a wedding banquet for his son. And the first thing that happens is he sends out some slaves or some servants to summon some people who had already been invited to the banquet. So this dad, king, has been preparing for his son's wedding. And he's been preparing as such that he has already invited people and said, hey, when it's time for the wedding, I want you to know you're invited. I will send a summons and tell you it's time to come. And in the story, he does that. And the people don't come. Remember, in real life, as this is happening, Jesus is talking to Israel's religious leaders. They're the ones. Israel is the people who were previously invited. Who are the people on earth who had a previous relationship with the God of the universe? It was Israel. And they were supposed to be waiting for their Messiah, the Son of God. And just like it plays out in this, they got invited first. Back in Matthew chapter 10, so this has already happened in this book. When Jesus sent out the 12 disciples the first time, here's the instructions he gave them. Do not go into any Gentile regions. Do not go into any Samaritan town. Go instead and only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And here's the message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Who got the invitation to the kingdom of heaven first? Israel. Even after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. Romans 1.16. Paul, the, the greatest missionary the world has ever known. Paul wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of salvation to everyone who believes. And it goes to the Jew first. And the rest of us heathens later. Okay, so the people who got invited first previously was Israel. And in the parable, so the symbols are pretty easy, easy to understand what's being represented. The, the king is God the Father. The son is Jesus. And the initial invite list was Israel. And so the king spins, hey, it's, everything's ready. Come on in. Time to party. But they would not come. This is a very patient king in this story who represents our God. What does he do? His first response, he sends more slaves with this message. Tell those who have been invited, go tell Israel, behold, look, Check this out. The feast I have prepared for you is ready. The oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. All you have to do is come. You don't have to bring a covered dish. You don't have to get you prepare. Just come. It's time. And what do they say? Eh. 
And they refused to come. And in verses 5 and 6, we see their rejection. Israel's rejection of the king. It reads this way. They were indifferent. And they went away. One to his farm, another to his business. The rest seized the slaves uh, insolently and mistreated them and even killed them. What this pictures, um, again, this, I believe, is after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And the early church goes first to Israel. And how does Israel treat the initial believers and followers of Jesus with the same reaction that's still happening to the gospel all around the world today? Negative responses to the gospel have always ranged from indifference to violence. You see the, you see the, the full gamut right here in Jesus' story. He's telling you, here's how people are going to respond. When this message goes out, Israel first, but lots of people are still doing it today. Indifference. Eh, some people just don't even listen. Another response you see in there in the second line on the screen is people, some people are too busy. Ah, I got my, my farm. Ask a lot. I'm really busy at work. You could add anything else in here that's not a sinful thing but keeps people away from the message. Um, and there's always been a violent reaction to the gospel in certain instances and in certain places. You know, people are, people respond with those responses, indifference, the first two especially, indifference and busyness. I think the main reason that people tend to think, I, I, I don't have time to like do all that churchy stuff. It's a priorities issue, right? And the reason we have that problem is because we feel like this. We know somewhere we think, like Jesus is going to have too many demands on my time and my priorities. That's what people think. And when people think that, you know what? They're right. Jesus places demands on our priorities. He demands to be Lord, to be first. He still wants us to be good in our other roles, in our jobs, in our relationships, and all of these things. But when people decide, I am too busy because God's going to change my priorities if I get all Jesified or whatever, yes, yeah, sort of. So, the ones who are Invited initially, um, reject the invitation multiple times. And then the reaction of the king changes. His reaction to repeated rejections show up in, in verses 7 through 10. So, first he's rejected, he sends more people with a more impassioned plea. They reject him again. And then in verse 7, the king is furious. He goes from compassionate and giving second chances to fury. Listen, I, even though we cannot out-sin the grace of God and the love of God, don't confuse that with permissiveness by God. Does God still get angry at my sin and your sin? Yes. 
Does God still get angry when people hear his invitation and reject it because they're indifferent, because they're too busy, or if they get violent? Yes. And by the way, from an eternal perspective, it doesn't matter why someone turns down the gospel, whether they're indifferent, too busy, or violent, they all wind up in the same place. We'll see that place in a in a minute. So he's angry. Again, Jesus is being predictive here. Uh, God gets furious, or the king, excuse me, gets furious, and he sends soldiers to, to destroy their city. Approximately 30 some years of a 70 AD, the Romans, God allows the Romans to come into Jerusalem and level the temple of God. And there has not been a temple in Jerusalem ever since. Why? Because God was angry that Israel rejected their Messiah, his son. But that's not the only response the king has. Verse 8, he says to his slaves, I'm changing the guest list. The ones who were invited, well, they're not coming, so we're going to open it up to anybody you can find. And he tells Other servants just go out in the roads and the highways and the byways and just bring people in. Here's what the king says. I've got a feast ready. I've planned a party and by gum, we're going to have a party. It's all here. And if they don't want to come, they don't have to come. But you go find anybody who will come and just sweep them up and bring them in here. Later he's going to say, all are invited. Boy, does that teach us something important to learn about heaven. Here's what it teaches us. You ever had, have you ever had a child get married? Did you think it was a big deal? Yeah. This king has a, has a wedding feast planned in honor of his son. And he's going to make sure there's people there. If you threw a big banquet in someone's honor, whether it's somebody's retirement, you know, a big birthday or an anniversary, and you threw a huge banquet, you prepared a huge banquet to honor that person and nobody showed up, would that person be honored? Would they feel honored if nobody showed up to the banquet? That wouldn't be an honor. It'd be an embarrassment. It'd be a humiliation. Do you know why there's going to be lots of people in heaven? Because there's lots of good people who deserve to go to heaven. Is that why? No. Here's why there's going to be lots of people in heaven. Because the Son of God was perfectly faithful and obedient. Obedient to death on a cross. And people who believe in that sacrifice get redeemed and and, and go to heaven. But here's why. The banquet's ready, and God says, I'm not going to have an empty banquet for my son. Our presence in heaven will be to honor him, not because a single one of us deserves to be there. Your eternal life is much more about Jesus than it is about you. It's to honor the one who deserves it. Now, 
Verse, in verse 8, there's a very interesting word that we need to explore. So he says to his slaves, just go gather people. That's the church going into all the world with the gospel, right? In verse 8, the king says, the ones who had been invited were not worthy. People who reject the invitation won't be in heaven because they are not worthy of heaven. Right? Which means all the people who wind up in heaven must be worthy. The question is, what makes someone worthy? These guys are not worthy. Everybody that winds up must have been worthy. Are they worthy because they're good? Moral, religious people? No. Check this out. They went out into the streets and gathered all they found. What kind of people did they find and bring to the wedding? Good people and bad people. That word can be translated rightly. Evil. There'll be bad people in heaven. There will be pretty good people not in heaven. Ones in heaven are worthy. Ones left out of heaven are not worthy. What makes the difference? What makes someone worthy and someone not worthy? We can tell right here. You know what makes someone worthy? The worthy people answer the invitation. It's the only difference. But remember why people reject the invitation. Because I've got more important things to do. I got more important stuff to do. I ain't got time for all that. The worthy person hears the invitation and something clicks and goes, there's nothing more important in my life than honoring the Son of God. That's what attending this banquet does. It honors Jesus. Excuse me. <coughs> the worthy person wants to see Jesus honored. Glorified. That's the people who answer the invitation. The people who go to heaven are not just the people who've decided, I think for eternity, I'd rather be in heaven than in hell. That's not a hard decision. Right? Nobody wants to go to hell for eternity. The entrance exam into, into heaven is not, hey, heaven or hell, you choose. It's this. In your life, did you want to honor Jesus, did you believe that Jesus was worthy of honor and praise and glory in your life? That's what makes someone worthy. Good people and bad people in heaven. Good people and bad people left out. The difference is who accepts the invitation to honor the Son. And now things get a bit confusing in the last uh, four verses here. Because this, it can seem like a guy gets kicked out of heaven here. Um, and we're not supposed to learn here that even after you make it into heaven, you still might get kicked out. That's not the lesson here. But I want to tell you why. Because it can kind of seem like that. Um, why does 
this guy get kicked out of heaven or get kicked out of the banquet just in this story? Uh, the king said to his tenants, well, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? He was not clothed correctly. He didn't follow the dress code. Isn't that why this guy gets tied up and kicked out? By the way, he gets tied up and thrown out in a way that he can't ever crawl back in. There's no getting back in to this banquet. He gets thrown uh, into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Obviously, there's something more going on here besides somebody getting kicked out of a wedding. Right? Some of you have probably been kicked out of a wedding before. You could tell stories, but this is church. We shouldn't tell those. You didn't get thrown into outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this guy gets kicked out for not having the right clothes. Um, in the ancient world, if you got an audience with a king, which almost never happened to anyone, but if you're just a regular person and you got an audience with the king, you couldn't just go in in whatever you wanted to wear in your rags and your work clothes. Um, it was disrespectful. And if you didn't have good enough clothes, the, the king's estate in many places would give you suitable clothes for your appointment with the king. In the same way I have heard anyway, I've never been to one of these places because they don't have a dollar menu, but I've heard there are really nice restaurants in the world that require jacket and tie. And just in case the right kind of person shows up that they really do want in there and they don't have those things, they keep some jackets and ties on hand. So, hey, you know, will you put this on? We'll let you eat. So in this story, all of these people had been given clothes by the king. How do I know that? Because they were just rounded up off the streets. We, in verse 10, we were told, the king says, you just go out, everybody you can find, like almost kidnap them, right? Just whoever will agree to come, just bring them straight here. But by the time they're seated at the banquet, they all have suitable clothing on. Most regular people wouldn't have had suitable clothing. And even if they had, they didn't give them time to go home and get all gussied up. So what happens is they're wearing the king's attire. And that fits with what we're told elsewhere in Scripture. The only people who get into heaven are people who are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's the great trade-off. When he was on the, the cross, if you believe on Jesus for your salvation... All, he became your sin. All of your sin went on him. And then the great thing that happens is, by faith, God takes his record of rights and wrongs and puts it on you, and you are clothed in his righteousness, goodness, sinlessness. And then here's this one guy. When the king comes... And the wedding hasn't happened yet. He's just greeting the guests. And the king walks around and looks and greets everybody. And he sees this one guy that doesn't have the king's duds on, the king's threads on. And he gets kicked out for not doing it. But I want to zero in on the question the king asked. Who does the king represent in this story? God the Father. He's going to ask a question. I've said this a lot and I'll say it again. Pay attention in the Bible, when God asks questions, comes to this guy that's not clothed correctly. 
And he asked him this question, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? Like, what are you doing here without the right clothes on? Um, it can seem like this guy gets kicked out of heaven. He doesn't. This is not eternal life that we're seeing right here, in my opinion. Now, I know because the wedding hasn't taken place yet. The Bible tells us that the wedding supper of the Lamb, the big wedding feast, happens, uh, begins right before Jesus returns. Right? It becomes at the second coming of Christ. We're not there. I believe this is today. I believe, literally, this is like right now, today. Everybody is invited, but everybody that shows up isn't chosen. And I think what happens with this guy is probably happening right now as I speak. I'm going to ask you the question the king asks this guy. How did you get here today? Like what are, honestly, if you're honest, what are you doing here? Why did you come? How did you get here? Just here because keeps your parents happy? Are you just here because your spouse is easier to live with if you come to church sometimes? Are you, are you curious? Are, you just wonder what goes on there. Maybe this guy thought, man, it seems like a good time. There's probably friends there. There's food. Somebody mentioned beef. But he's not like redeemed, he's not saved. He hasn't accepted the right invitation. Listen, coming to church, even accepting an invitation to church and accepting the invitation we're talking about in this passage, they're not the same thing. Coming to church and getting into heaven are not the same thing. Not this church, not any other uh, building that calls itself a church anywhere. The ones who actually answer the invitation and show up in a way that gets them clothed in the king's clothes, they're there to honor the son. They're there to honor the one who is worthy of honor. And a day is coming. A day is coming. I don't know how many chances you and I will get. I, next week, you might have, you'll probably have another chance to come here, sit in the same seat, and hear the same message. But a day is coming when you don't have any more opportunities. And I don't know when that day is for you or for me. And a day is coming in the big picture where God is going to say, enough is enough. And he's going to, and he's going to say, he's going to gather his church for the wedding. And people who are, even though they've been coming to church, like, nope, outer darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth because you've been coming. You've been coming to an assembly. But you are not clothed in the righteousness of my son. That's why God wants every one of us to answer this question. Friend, why are you here? 
Are you here because you think it makes you good? Because it doesn't. Are you here because you're keeping the peace or you're curious? Which is great. He says, all are invited. I hope every week there's lots of people, more and more people who come for who knows what reason. I'll beg you to make sure that one day you can say that I come because I want to honor Jesus with my life. He's my Savior, my Lord, my King. I'm not here because my spouse or my parents want me to be. I'm here to honor my King, my Lord. God says two things. And I want you to remember today. First, he says, behold, the feast, the banquet I have prepared for you is ready. You just have to come. But coming here and going there are not the same thing. So I'll leave you this question. Friend, how did you get in here today? And again, I hope someday... Maybe today is the day where you can say, from now on, I will be coming here because I want to honor the one the banquet's thrown in honor of. That's why faith begins to work its way out in our lives. Because I haven't just made a decision that I'd rather go to heaven than hell when I die. I've decided I want to honor the one heaven is thrown for. That makes sense? Pray with me and we'll gather at the table. Father God, I thank you that you are so patient and gracious. You continue to issue invitation after invitation after invitation. And for every one of us here, we have not had yet our last invite. But one day we will. So God, I pray that you would impress on our hearts to be able to answer this question truthfully. Why am I here in this church today? God, I pray that you would impress upon us the need, a longing to honor Jesus in spite of the demands you may make, in spite of how busy we are to recognize there is nothing more important than honoring Jesus with my life. It's the answer to the invitation. It's to RSVP correctly. We love you, Lord. Thank you for, for making the banquet ready. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you're starting to understand what I have been talking about, that you want to RSVP correctly, you don't have to do anything with me or the church. All you have to do is with God. You just have to tell him, I, I believe that what Jesus did at the cross was to pay my penalty and I want to live a life that honors him. I want to, I believe in a way that I want to be honoring to him. Now what we're going to do in the rest of our time this morning is we're going to remember, um, I'll ask you this, those of you who have had children get, get married, are they, is it cheap? Is it inexpensive when that happens? Or is it pricey? It's pricey. It's expensive. Um, the marriage supper, the banquet, and the celebration that God throws for his son 
is the most expensive one that's ever happened. And I'm not talking about the price of the food. Because the price for having us there to honor him, if we were going to be at the banquet to honor the one it was thrown for, the price for our entry was the death of the one it was thrown to honor. The Son of God killed on a cross. So this morning, as uh, we gather around the table, here's what we are remembering. The price that Jesus paid that might reserve a seat for me and for you uh, at a banquet table with him. Uh, as the guys come forward to pray with me over the bread. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to pass around the symbol of the body of your son. God, we do. Uh, we're so grateful that people like us, even though some of us are kind of morally good and some of us are morally not so good, but we, those of us who eat this by faith, we want to honor the Son, the Lord Jesus. And right now we want to honor him by remembering what he did to reserve our place in the banquet. So bless our time with the bread as we remember what you did to reserve our place in Jesus' name. Amen.